0: Long hours, small teams, uninspiring content. Marketing for a startup is hard work, but it doesn't have to be. HubSpot for startups can help you grow your business without growing your stress. Their all-in-one platform connects your sales, marketing, and support all together so you can increase leads, fast-track deals, smooth out support, and join a platform that more than 190,000 top brands trust. Plus, they have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. HubSpot also offers discounts for startups on their top-rated customer platform, and not the kind of discounts that barely make a dent. I'm talking about meaningful savings of up to 90%. So if you're ready to crush your marketing, look no further than HubSpot for startups. To see how much you can save, visit HubSpot.com startups.
1: I knew I needed something to really push me out of my comfort zone, and this project did that. I mean, it was hard. There were a few all-nighters, and it really forced me to look at my surroundings and really see inspiration in things that were around me.
0: Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host, Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, my friend, welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. I'm grateful that you've decided to spend another hour here with me today. Back in June of 2020, I published an episode with Kat Cocolette, a graphic designer who licenses her designs to major brands. That episode has always been a listener favorite, and I'm making it a commitment this year to speak with more designers, and not just graphic designers, but product designers too. And one of the first people who came to mind when I was thinking about products and design is today's guest. Lalise Stamps. Lalise is a ceramicist and the creator of Lolly Lolly Ceramics, a small-scale ceramics production and design studio in Columbus, Ohio. Lalise's ceramics have gotten a lot of attention over the last year, and her public profile has really blown up. In what feels like the blink of an eye, her Instagram following has grown to more than 100,000 followers, and her studio is consistently sold out of their handmade mugs. I first met Lalise a couple years ago at a coffee shop here in Columbus called One Line Coffee. And it's where a lot of local artists and creatives tend to hang out. This was a few years ago, when she was still a graphic design student at the Columbus College of Art and Design. And it was there at CCAD that she first tried her hand at ceramics.
1: I thought that ceramics was something that I could try. I never tried it before, ironically. So back in 2017, I decided to take a class. And it kind of stuck. I, I started selling pieces locally at the flea market. And then it just really took off from there.
0: That, if you hadn't guessed, is Lelise, And as you hear in this interview, she took to ceramics like a fish to water, or clay to a wheel, or some other clever metaphor. Or maybe that's a simile, I don't know. And while she studied graphic design at CCAD, she also continued to practice her craft of ceramics, making mugs and sometimes selling them at a local flea market. But that got a little repetitive for Lelise, and she started looking for ways to stretch herself creatively.
1: So I decided that doing a 100-day project would be perfect because that meant I can do something for 100 days and hopefully that would expand my knowledge and also skill set for ceramics. So I made 100 different mugs with 100 different handles for 100 days.
0: Lelisa's 100-day project got a ton of attention locally. For days, it felt like if I opened Instagram stories, I was going to see her mugs. And not long after, in mid-2020, things really started to change for Lalise on a national level. As our country grappled with the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, Black business owners started to get more of the attention that they deserve. And Lalise's business, Lolly Lolly Ceramics, started to really take off.
1: So at the time, it was really interesting because I wasn't really focused on my ceramics as much. I was protesting a lot and doing a lot of social justice things. So to look at my phone and see the amount of followers that I was getting at that time, It would range from like 10,000 new followers a day to 20,000, which was insane.
0: We talk about this a lot more in the interview, but Lalise's work grew like wildfire, getting attention from the New York Times, Pop Sugar, Marie Claire, and even Gwyneth Paltrow. But it's challenging to keep up with that type of growth, especially for a first-time entrepreneur. So in this episode, we talk about Lalise's start to ceramics, the process of making a single mug, let alone a hundred of them growing a large following overnight, brand partnerships, and how her tenacity has helped her to make the most out of these opportunities. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode as you listen. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at jklaus. I'd love to know that you're listening. Just take a photo, tag me. And if you're not already in our listeners community on Facebook, I'd love for you to join. But now, let's talk to Louise.
1: I was a student at CCAD, And I studied graphic design, so I was always on my computer and I really just needed an outlet that was separate from that, that I can kind of use my hands. Because I've always been a creative. I've just dabbled in so many different things.
0: Talk to me about like your first efforts in that class. I feel like taking a ceramics class, your first tries have got to be so rough. (laughs) You know, I think back to like, I (laughs) had, I I had a ceramics project in eighth grade and it was horrible. So did you like take to it really quickly and you were like, Oh wow, I'm really good at this. Or was it really, really hard for you in the beginning too?
1: You know, I, (laughs) I don't mean to say this in a way that sounds cocky, but I kind of, I'm really good at things, and I think it's more so determination if I really put my mind to it and practice really hard. So maybe that's more of it. I I, I wasn't incredible at first because throwing on the wheel is really challenging, but I think the way that I really got great at making pieces is by just practicing. I studied abroad actually that summer, and my advisor told me, he's like, you should try to sell some of your pieces. And I was very new at ceramics at that time, and I was like, oh, I don't know. That sounds kind of crazy. But sure enough, I just kind of went to the studio and practiced basically every day. And I think just kind of, you know, repetitively doing something really made me good at it. (laughs) So it was hard at first, of course, like anything. But I think being really determined and that really helped me to get good at it.
0: For somebody who's never taken a ceramics class, what is like the base level understanding we should have of how this works and what you're actually doing to make a piece of ceramic art?
1: Yeah. I mean, you you need a lot of strength. (laughs) That's what I tell people, Um, especially uh, working on a ceramics wheel. Um, It takes a lot of strength with your whole body, which is a fun thing that I've learned, like using your core, your back, every part of your hand, every finger. So I think once you kind of establish that underlying understanding, then you can really put your whole self into it because it takes a toll on your body, essentially.
0: So you have like Clay, clay is the base ingredient here, right? Sure. And do you have to like mix that in some way or does that come pre-made as in like, here's your clay?
1: Wow, ceramics is such a (laughs) wild world. There's so many different ways to approach a ceramics piece. For example, with clay, you can either buy clay from a manufacturer or you can make clay yourself like with raw materials. And the same goes for glaze. I tend to make my own glazes, but there's some people who buy pre-made glazes and it works great for them. So um, you really, again, have to explore what works for you. And I think that that's such an important part of every creative outlet, not just ceramics.
0: Well, talk to me just like through the process of, okay, so you have the clay. Mm
1: -hmm. How
0: does it go from like a ball of clay into a mug?
1: So for me, I... I purchased clay from a local retailer and it comes in about 50 pound boxes. Again, you need a lot of strength and not even you, I feel like I'm pretty small. So I, I, I work it out, but I buy clay. I kind of separate it into balls. I weigh it out. I take those balls of clay to the throwing wheel. And then I basically throw a vessel from the throwing wheel. There's so many steps in ceramics. (laughs) And and that's why I'm trying to break
0: down because for people who aren't familiar with it, like I Mm -hmm. I want them to understand what goes into this. Like I hear vessel. What's a vessel?
1: Yeah. To be a vessel is the core part of the mug that holds the liquid. And, you know, I, I, I'm actually trying right now to explore different ways to be more transparent about my process for my business, because there, it is really fun and it's really exciting. And no matter which way I explain it to people, it still gets really confusing. So visually, I think being able to see it with your own two eyes is really fun and exciting. But yeah, the vessel I then take from the wheel and then I let it dry for some time and then I put a handle on, let it dry for some time, then I put it in the kiln, take it out of the kiln and then I glaze it. (laughs) Yeah, there's there's a lot of steps that go into it.
0: And a kiln is just like a really hot oven, right?
1: Yeah, um, the kiln that I have, I have two now, I actually just bought one to help scale up production it goes up to 2200 degrees. That's what I fire it to. So they get insanely hot, but they're really also awesome. Like they don't exude a lot of heat. There's brick that protects the inside. So um, as long as you're safe and you don't really go near it while it's on, then it's perfectly normal.
0: How big is one of these kilns that you're using? Is this like something I can wrap my arms around? Is this like a room in my house?
1: So right now, the two that I have are pretty standard size. They go up to about my, my neck in height, and then they're pretty wide. I want to say about four feet in diameter, so maybe a little bit larger. It's, I don't actually know. So it's kind of hard to wrap your arms around them, per se. But one of my big goals for 2021 is to invest in a very large kiln that is almost the size of a room <laughs> so that I can, again, scale up my production.
0: This is really fascinating to me. So thank you for entertaining my question. Of course. How many mugs can I fit into one of the kilns that you have now?
1: Okay. So one of the kilns I have now can fit about, I want to say about 80 pieces at a bisque fire. And a bisque fire means it's the first fire. When a piece is completely dry, it has to be completely dry or else the moisture that is retained in a piece will cause it to explode in the kiln. So once it's bisque, that means that it comes out porous still, so that porosity of the piece can absorb glaze because there's a lot of uh, moisture in the glaze. So the second fire, there's always two fires, sometimes, not every time, but for me, there's usually two fires and the second fire, it fits less pieces because... They can't touch. So you have more room the first time because you can stack everything. But the second time, a glazed piece can't touch or else it'll meld together.
0: Got it. So what's that breakdown to for the second time? Like half as many pieces in there?
1: Not quite. I would say about three-fourths of the first load because I don't really stack everything the first load either. Like I've seen people who like stack a ton of pieces and that's something probably that's just a fear of mine. I'm afraid that things will topple over when it's in the kiln. So maybe I should make that a goal for 2021 to be a little less fearful of things breaking. But that's just from experience. I've learned to kind of be a little bit more careful about that. So yeah, about three-fourths of the first kiln load.
0: It's also interesting. I didn't realize that the glaze was kind of like an agent to fill these porous holes and to like protect mm-hmm. it from taking on moisture.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, It makes I feel it like- a more safe piece to to use for dinnerware options. You can eat from it, drink from it, then yeah.
0: I feel like my ceramics 101 knowledge is a little bit dialed in now. So I want to <laughs> I want to go back to this this uh, fact that you mentioned of going to art school for graphic design
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that being kind of where you started. How does or doesn't graphic design relate to ceramics?
1: That's a really great question because a lot of people have told me that they can tell that I'm a graphic designer through my work. And that actually makes me really proud because I do care a lot for structure and form and functionality. And I think my training in graphic design has helped me to refine my ceramics. So the fact that people can tell that through my work is really satisfying. But then also being a graphic designer and having that skill set as a background has been incredible as a small business owner. I've been able to... You know, really refine all elements of you know my marketing. I created a whole brand this past year with some of my friends, and I think that really just kind of puts me a step above, you know, my competitors. Which I don't even feel like I have competitors per se, but it really helps me to stand out. Really.
0: After a quick break, Lelise and I talk about building Lolly Lolly on the side while working a full time job, and how her community helped her grow her business in the early days. Right after this. D2C Pod, hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolus, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. D2C Pod is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer. Ramon and Blaine cover everything for starting, growing, and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. They talk with founders, marketers, and creators, and cover topics like brand building, social media, influencer marketing, website conversion, paid media, consumer trends, email marketing, and more. So if you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. You may or may not know that I have a bit of a domain buying obsession. Whether it's a new project idea or domains related to my existing projects, I'm buying them all. I have creatorscience.tv, creatorscience.fm. So let me tell you about my newest purchase. It's jklaus.bio connection with your audience is everything. We make all this content and then we want to direct our audience somewhere. Well, a great new option is with a bio domain instead of some long link tree or third party URL that people can't understand and is hard to say out loud. Using your bio domain for your link in bio lets you manage all your links in one spot with a custom domain that tells people exactly who you are. It's short. It's memorable. It's professional. Your .bio domain name is your way to share yourself with the world. And right now, you can get your own .bio domain name for less than $3 at Porkbun. Yes, it's a real website and a real registrar. Just visit porkbun.com slash creator. That's P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com slash creator. Welcome back to Creative Elements. Back in 2017, Lelise was a student at the Columbus College of Art and Design studying graphic design. But as we already know, today she is working full-time as a ceramicist. So I asked Lalise if she saw that shift coming or where she thought her career as an artist was leading.
1: I never really thought that I would pursue ceramics full-time, and that's because I love graphic design. I I could see myself raising in the ladder of being a graphic designer and then being an art director, maybe a creative director, and that was a really exciting thing for me, even after graduating. I got a few of my dream jobs right away, which was really awesome. But then once ceramics started to really grow, my business started to really grow, I realized that I could kind of meld the two in a successful way that made me happy still. I just quit my full-time job as a graphic designer about three months ago, which surprises a lot of people. People were like, I didn't have any clue that you were even working full-time. But at that time, it felt like a good decision to transition away from my career fully and just bring my skill set to my own business.
0: I've actually heard that, that type of response quite a bit from, from creative folks, because when you start making things and and putting it out on the internet, you kind of put it out as if like, this is, this is me and this is everything that I'm doing, but it's often like, I want this to be me. I want this to be everything I'm doing and I need to like show that I'm doing this and, and I'm going to portray this as everything, but it's just hard to get things started, you know, it's, it's really hard to get things started.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: When you say you got a few of your dream jobs, what did that look like? Was that like a type of position? Was that the type of clients you were working with? What did that mean to you?
1: To me, it meant the places that I worked. I was able to work in environments, to me, that felt very fulfilling. The people I worked with were incredible. The clients that we worked with were really fun and really challenged me. So that was a really fulfilling thing to be able to work in spaces after college that felt right for me which was hard to let that go because I was afraid that maybe I would never get that again. But after talking to, you know, people who I trusted, they reminded me that I can create that environment myself through my own business. And I think that's when I really gained the confidence and realized that that stability of having a job was nice, but also I was at a stage where I didn't really need that anymore.
0: When you were working as a graphic designer, were you creating ceramics all along the way or did that ever take a pause?
1: Oh, yeah. All the way. <laughs> which also is another thing that surprises people. I think people start to really put two and two together and realize like, oh, wow, you're actually kind of working two full jobs. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's basically what happened.
0: Well, what did that look like? Like, how much time were you putting into that? And what were your goals at the time that you were doing that on the side?
1: Um, So my ceramic side hustle, which is what I, I will call it, because it, that's really what it was. I didn't really take it. Seriously, in regards to it being a business, you know, I I did have an LLC because I wanted to protect myself, but at that time, I didn't really feel like they were competing pathways. To me, it felt like ceramics was just a fun thing that was fulfilling. The same reason why I started it, because it was an opportunity for me to get my hands dirty, truly, and to explore a different realm. But now I take it a lot more seriously, obviously, because it's a full-fledged business now. I'm an entrepreneur.
0: What were your first like sales, like selling of ceramics? How did you start to see like, oh, I can actually make a little bit of money doing this?
1: My sales in the beginning were fine. I mean, I would go, I would sell at the local flea market, the Columbus Flea. I would bring maybe 100 to 250 pieces, depending on how many I can make, and. I would sell out every time. And honestly, I think that has a lot to do with my community and the support that I have. I mean, the pieces I make are, are fun and they're good, but I really think that support from my community really helped me to make those initial sales, which I always appreciate those, those OG customers. And now I feel like my sales, they've transitioned to being online. I work with wholesalers now. And even that, I still feel like I'm not doing the max capacity that I can be doing. So I'm excited to continue to grow with my sales.
0: We're definitely going to get to these wholesalers and and where things are today because it's incredibly inspiring. But something you just mentioned makes me want to dig in a little bit. You know, you said, I I really credit the support of my community. And that's something that anybody listening to this, we, we all have some amount of inherent community, but I think a lot of people are also looking around at some of their peers and people they admire and saying, they seem to have more people around them than I do. So Mm -hmm. how did you build that? And what can people learn about how you kind of form these relationships that really supported you in the early days?
1: My friends will laugh at this question because I'm probably one of the people out of my friends group that will have so many friends, (laughs) quote unquote, friends, acquaintances, whatever, everywhere I go. You know, I'm from Milwaukee originally, and I lived in Chicago for some time. And I've lived in Columbus now for the past 10 years. And no matter where I go, I tend to really attract people in this way that I think is just very genuine and authentic. I don't like to call it networking because I really don't think that's what it is, but I love meeting people in different situations. Like ironically, I'm very introverted, but if you put me in a situation where there's a ton of people and I know I'm going to be there, like I'm mentally prepared to like meet people and talk to them. So I've just never been afraid to really put myself out there and meet new people. But I also do think there's something about my personality that attracts people and makes them want to talk to me. And I've had people tell me that too. So it's not really coming out of like thin air. I, I really do think that there's something about me where like I'm easy to talk to. And that I, I always have some exciting things going on that people want to talk about.
0: Let's say you, you went to an event and you met some people and you had a really great conversation and feel like you, you just made potentially five new friends.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you maintain that? over time do you do it intentionally at all or have you learned anything about what you do that makes that possible
1: yeah i'm i'm super intentional i mean i'm really good at keeping in touch with people no matter if it's via phone by text or just like sending a direct message on instagram just the other day i reached out to someone who i hadn't talked to in a while they're a former coworker of mine and i was like i'm just thinking about you wanted to say hi and check in and i think that's so important especially during a time right now when you know communication is really limited with the quarantine, I think it's so important to just kind of stay in touch briefly because we all have things going on. We're all busy, but I don't like to make that excuse. I like to remember that there's people in my life who might not be there as consistently now, but at one point they were, and they're important to me, and I just want to make sure people know that. And I I also love sending people mail, (laughs) which is so outdated, (laughs) but not even. I, I love sending cards and just letting people know that I'm thinking of them. And I think that's the reason why being an entrepreneur is actually perfect for me. Shipping out uh, products is so exciting to me because I can send along a personal note and just letting people know how much I appreciate their support.
0: It's so meaningful. I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a recent dad. And we were talking about how as we get older... We're just a little bit slower to be the person that goes first and reaches out to somebody. And Mm -hmm. when other people do that for us, it just means so much. So just a lesson for people listening, like think about five people right now that you haven't talked to in a while and just shoot them a text to say, Hey, I was thinking about you (laughs) so far.
1: You don't even have to continue the conversation after that. If you're too busy, like I feel like sometimes I'll start a conversation and it keeps going and I'll just be like, Hey, like I'm at the wheel right now. I can't talk, but just wanted to reach out and say hi.
0: In September of 2019, Lalise embarked on a creative project that would change the trajectory of her business and career. She decided to undertake a 100-day project, challenging herself to create 100 different mugs with 100 different handles for 100 days. The project required a ton of tenacity and concluded with a gallery show at The Fort, a creative space here in Columbus, Ohio.
1: The 100-day project is a project that is not a new thing. Um, 100-day projects have been going on for some time now. And essentially they're projects that you start if you are curious about, you know, expanding, at least this is what it was for me. I really wanted to expand the work that I was doing. As I kind of told you, I was working full time and also making ceramics on the side. So it was really hard for me to create new things. I think I was kind of stuck in this bubble where I was creating the same things over and over. So I really wanted to push myself and make something new and it was one of the best things I've ever done, to be honest. It was so successful. If you were lucky enough to follow along during the project, it was super exciting because I would post a new picture every day of a new mug. And people would get so excited about it. It held me accountable. <laughs> and it got me excited and inspired. And I, I can't tell you, Jay, the amount of people who reached out saying how they were inspired by that project. And I've talked to high school s- classes about how they're starting their own hundred-day projects, and you know, giving them tips on how to survive it because it's hard. It's a hundred days, <laughs> but yeah, it it was a really fun project.
0: You know, at the beginning of this interview, we talked about the process of creating one of these pieces. Can you go through an entire process of building and and firing the mug in a day, or did you have to get ahead of schedule a little bit?
1: Yeah, I you're you're not able to do one piece from beginning to end because alone. A piece has to be in the kiln for, so if, sorry, this is so hard to explain all the time, but one piece is in the kiln for about 24 hours alone. So already you kind of knock out that part of the process. So I really did have to prepare ahead of time and which really worked out for me in the beginning. I was able to kind of make two to three pieces at a time, have them drying while I'm making another set of pieces, But then, towards the middle, is when things started to get a little bit trickier because ideas that I thought were really good at the beginning might not have panned out as well towards the middle. So, I kind of had to really be innovative. And this is the reason why I started this project because I knew I needed something to really push me out of my comfort zone. And this project did that. I mean, it was hard. There were a few all nighters. I had traveled during that time to a few different places. So, I had to really plan ahead for that. And it really forced me to look at my surroundings and really see inspiration in things that were around me, everyday things like a remote control or a handle on a door. And that was the most fulfilling part of the project, really just being able to open up to my surroundings and really take in everything around me.
0: When we come back, Lelise and I talk about the constraints she set on herself for her 100 day project and what it felt like when her work really started to take off. So stick around and we'll be right back. If you know me, you know how much I believe in memberships. My membership is the core of my business and earning an income directly from your audience is one of the most sustainable ways for you to become a professional creator too. So I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Uscreen. Uscreen is a beautiful all-in-one platform that helps content creators earn a living from their videos by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. You can host private live streams for your members build an on-demand catalog of premium content, and Uscreen gives you a community hub to interact with your members too. They can access your community from their mobile phone, so your membership is right there in their pocket. With a Uscreen account, you get video hosting, an out-of-the-box website, full payment and subscription management, and plenty of third-party integrations too. And Uscreen makes it easy to get set up. You get access to powerful website themes that are fully brandable with no coding skills required. Uscreen will even provide a dedicated success manager for you. If you're interested in learning more about Uscreen, visit That's uscreen.link/j. That's u s slash e e n.link/j and let them know that I sent you. If you work with clients and you want to grow your top line revenue without growing a big payroll at the same time, then consider attending the Solopreneur Summit, a VIP event hosted by my friend Ken Yarmish. Ken has personally closed over $50 million in his career as a solopreneur, all in professional services. I've learned a lot from Ken, and he's worked with some of the biggest names today. People like Matt Barker, Nasheen Chen, Laura Acosta, and Jake Ward trust Ken to get clearer offers and scale their business with systems. Now, Ken is running a two-day in-person summit on May 9th and 10th to help you build systems across marketing, sales, and client delivery. So now you too can grow without hiring. This will be a workshop setting. It's the anti-loud obnoxious conference with no more than 50 people who will go deep with Ken and other experts that he's brought in to solve actual problems in your business. Ken and his invited experts will show you their proven systems across personal branding, driving inbound leads, social selling, crafting scalable offers, using AI to automate client delivery, and more. Stop guessing and start learning from those who are three to five steps ahead of you get actionable tactics and proven systems to accelerate your pipeline, close more deals, and get out of client delivery hell. Head to trs.club summit to learn more and register for the Solopreneur Summit today. At that website, you'll see some of the other experts that are coming in that will allow you to go behind the scenes and look at their actual businesses. Again, that URL is trs.club summit. One last time, that's trs.club slash summit. Let me tell you about one of my favorite podcasts that I've been listening to for years. It's called The $100 MBA Show. And wherever you are on your business journey, The $100 MBA Show has lessons that can help you take the next step forward. The $100 MBA Show is a Best of Apple Podcasts winner, literally one of the top Apple Podcasts of all time. And it's hosted by my friend and former guest, Omar Zenholm. Omar is a business school dropout turned successful entrepreneur, and he shares real-world lessons on starting, growing, and scaling your business. You may even know his software product, Webinar Ninja. What I love about the $100 MBA show is that these are well-produced, bite-sized episodes on everything from creating a product, connecting with your market, sales, building a team, and more. This show is legit. It does over 2 million downloads every month. Whether you're a small time solopreneur or scaling your startup to investor level, there's valuable real world advice for you in the $100 MBA's archive of thousands of episodes, with new episodes three days a week. If that sounds interesting to you, and it should, just search for $100 MBA Show wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to my conversation with Lily Stamps of Lolly Lolly Ceramics. I'm fascinated by this 100 day project. I've left a link in the show notes to all the mugs that Lelise made. And crazy as a lot of them are, you could technically drink out of each of these mugs. So I asked Lelise what types of constraints she put on herself when it came to creating a new mug.
1: Um, I didn't have any restraints, honestly. And that's the funny part about this project, the, amount, the reactions that people have had. Mostly they're really excited and people look at the mugs and they're like, these are so interesting. I would have never thought of that. But then there's like probably 2% of people who are like curmudgeons about it. And they're like, this isn't functional. I can never use this. And that's the thing, though. I I never really set out to create incredibly functional pieces. To me, it was more of challenging what a mug handle really is. And I I think I was super successful in that. And I think that pushing those boundaries and really challenging people the way they see a classic mug was really so much fun.
0: This is where a podcast kind of fails because if you're listening to this, you need to go to Lelise's <laughs> Instagram and and see some of these mugs because they are like really, really phenomenal and different and, and a lot of fun. So one question I have about 100-day projects, you know, you you have kind of like the project itself at a macro level of mm-hmm. this is a 100-day project. But inside of that, you have 100 projects
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> individually.
0: Yep. So were you thinking about this as one big project or a 100 small projects?
1: I thought about this as one big project. And I never intended on selling any of my pieces, which is very interesting, because I do sell some of them now. And I think that this project to me initially was just supposed to be an art project and then more of like an installation. But it's become more than that. It's become bigger than that. And it's just another testament to, you know, trying something for the first time. I think that my thoughts of what it was supposed to be just changed over time, but I'm happy with it. I think that that's kind of the way life goes. And as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to be open to letting things evolve from your initial thought of them.
0: Did those thoughts evolve within the hundred days or after the hundred days when you started to get some response to it?
1: Definitely afterward. You know I mean, I, I ended that project at the end of two thousand nineteen, so about a year ago. And 2020 is when it really started to gain more attention after the project was completely done. And that is from the power of Instagram. A lot of people just were sharing my work and it gained a lot of traction internationally.
0: So if somebody is listening to this and they're saying, okay, I wanna push myself, I wanna do a 100 day project. Should they just focus on doing 100 great pieces of whatever the thing is, or are there other elements of the project that you would encourage them to think about from the beginning to help set them up for success afterwards.
1: I would encourage people to really think about their support system to be honest. For me it wasn't just about all the products that I made. For me it was about, you know, connecting with other people and, you know, building my skill set. So, and I and I say having support from other people because I wasn't able to do every aspect of this project on my own, you know, taking the photos, for example, was a really important part of this project, but I don't really think I'm an incredible photographer. So my partner was there for me to help me do that part of it. So they were kind of wrapped in this project themselves. So thinking through that and and timing, timing is so important. I feel like you can just jump into something and do it successfully, but it is a good idea to really think about, you know, how much time you can dedicate to something or at what point in the day can you dedicate to it because i think in the long run that'll help you be successful instead of kind of, you know, flailing and trying to figure out as you go. Things will change throughout the process. So if you can have a little bit of structure to start with, i think that would be a good idea.
0: Lelise's gallery show for the 100 day project was on December 7th, 2019. Living in Columbus myself, there was a lot of buzz around this project as i said. So when Lelise says that her community has really supported her, She's not kidding. But things didn't change overnight. So I asked her what happened in 2020 when things started to really take off.
1: So the quarantine happened, which I think for me was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. It allowed me to really pivot and think through what my next steps were for Lolly Lolly. I was able to work on the branding, which meant, you know, developing a family of logos a color palette, a photography style, all those important things. And then I think what really catapulted the project was the Black Lives Matter movement, which is kind of a controversial thing for me. During the time of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, the protesting for George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, a lot of people, I think, really woke up to the fact that maybe they weren't doing enough to support Black people, Black lives, Black businesses, And I think that brought a lot of attention to my work. I think that a lot of people were starting to kind of share different black businesses and I kind of got roped into it. So I was getting a a huge following at that time. And I think it was hard for me because I wasn't sure if it felt real or authentic. It was hard because I couldn't tell if it was performative, but then as the time went on, I, I continued to grow. My following continued to grow and people were really excited about the work that I was making. And it made me realize that the support was genuine. And I think that people really saw me for, for me. And it just made me excited because I think it was just a little bit of a boost and allowed me to really gain a whole new audience.
0: So as this is happening and you're going to protest and you're, you're trying to do what you can to raise awareness yourself, what type of tension did you feel to like capitalize on the traction that you're getting at the same time? How did you wrestle with that?
1: I mean, I just kind of did what I had to do, which was continue living. <laughs> like, I was still working full time at that time and going through a lot of hard moments at work. We were having a lot of conversations at work about what everything meant. I think a lot of people at my job didn't understand why the protesting was happening or didn't understand why I was so involved. So it was interesting because I was dealing with much more than ceramics and like a, a new following of people. Like, I was dealing with like my livelihood and trying to really just stay afloat in that sense. So to be honest, I didn't even think about capitalizing on anything at that time. I think for me, that came later when I was able to kind of, you know, emerge from this fog of, you know, frustration and anger. And I was able to really focus and be like, okay, I have this new following now. What does this mean for me? And I had to really evaluate, like, was I going to keep doing things the way that I was doing them before or was I going to evaluate how to move forward and really take this new following and grow with it and continue to grow my business and that's what led me to my decision to quit my job essentially I realized that it was a good time because I had this new following and i moved into a new studio I was in my basement before so I felt like the timing was it was right like i i, I never argue with timing and I took the opportunity to really you know just move forward and do what I could with what i had
0: did it still feel risky and scary even though you thought like the timing was right
1: oh of course yeah i mean i i love taking risks to be honest i think that that's the only way to live how will you really know if something will work out if you don't take a risk but for me seeing like i was starting to get a lot of you know partnerships coming in with brands and i was you know getting different grant opportunities come in so for me being financially secure in that way made me even more confident in my decision to, you know, focus on Lolly full-time.
0: What did that look like for for somebody who hasn't had like inbound partnership interests? Is that just coming through like an Instagram DM? Is that coming through email? How did you start receiving these things?
1: Oh, everywhere. <laughs> and that's a part of why that time in my life was really overwhelming. You know, the growth of a business at that time was exciting but so, so overwhelming. I can't even describe how I felt because I'm so typically in control of my life in the way I'm really organized. I'm really, sorry, I was going to say strict, but I'm not strict on myself, but I am really regimented. So at this time when I was getting so many inquiries from email, from text, from my DMs, it was so overwhelming. So I had to really Gather a team. A lot of my friends were super supportive, and were like, "I'll jump in. I'll start answering DMs." And my friend went on my website and changed a few things to, to let people know, like, "Hey, we're not currently for sale." Like, because people were confused, they're like, "You're so big and popular. Why is there nothing for sale on your site?" So we re- redirected my shop page to uh email uh, subscribe list, so that people we could at least capture people's email. So I think what happened to me, I think was okay for me because I was able to handle it. Uh, it was hard at the time, but I was smart enough to you know, gather people to help. And I think that really made all the difference.
0: And then how did you think about where you were investing your own energy? As you're seeing people come in and say like, hey, why can't I buy more stuff? Were you like, okay, I gotta get back into the studio and make a ton of mugs? Or how did you think about where you're
1: putting your time? Well, that was what encouraged me to quit my job because I think that I was limited on time as far as working um, as a graphic designer, my, my my hours for working full-time as a designer are pretty (laughs) like fluid. I don't really have, I didn't really have a set schedule. So I think finally kind of quitting that job allowed a lot more time to open up for me so that I can allocate it towards making pieces. Now that's shifted. Now I'm kind of in the mindset where I don't necessarily want to be as involved in the production. I do want to oversee it, but I think for me to be most successful is to step away about 80 percent, give away about 80 percent of my power as far as making things and focusing on other parts of the business, because I think I'd be a lot more successful like with handling like the marketing, for example, or the creative, designing new pieces to get people excited.
0: So when you have these brands coming to you and saying they want to work with you, are they trying to place like large orders? at once and do you need to have inventory on hand like what does that look like
1: the various brands that are reaching out there's different categories there's wholesalers who've been reaching out who want to sell my pieces in their shops which so many wholesalers that i i didn't it's (laughs) that alone has been overwhelming so having to decide one whether or not i want to work with wholesalers or two which ones to work with there's a lot of research involved in that like kind of understanding their values and who they are And then uh, a lot of big commissions, people who have reached out to me about, for example, Bath and Body Works has been a client of mine this past year. And I did two big commissions with them, making special mugs for them for different events that they've been holding. So those are the different categories of people who have reached out. And then there's like individuals who have reached out about commissions. And that's just like not possible for me right now.
0: What does ceramics look like at scale? Like, do these wholesalers or even consumers, like, would they want a mug that's like kind of standardized? And then how do you make that to make sure that they are like the same?
1: Great question. That's something I'm exploring right now. Something that I've always kind of stood by is the fact that my pieces are handmade and that I make them personally and I touch every single piece. But I don't think that will be sustainable down the line. I think that. I've experienced burnout in ceramics multiple times already. Throwing on the wheel again takes a lot of strength and I simply can't continue doing what I'm doing forever. So to me, it's smart to scale up and to invest in ways that I will allow other people that will allow other people to also take part in the production so that it doesn't all fall on me. So that means having to create a product that feels really handmade still but also really consistent. So I'm kind of cheering that line right now, trying to figure out what that means. There's other examples of brands that do a great job of it. For example, East Fork Pottery out in Asheville, they have a, a huge company. Well, not huge. They have 80 people that they have hired. And I think they do an incredible job of having a manufacturing line, but also making pieces that feel unique and special. And that's kind of what I'm modeling my own business after. And they, they've been great. They've reached out and have offered help and advice and equipment that they don't use anymore, so again, I have such an incredible community who've been supportive
0: I'm just so impressed with how much you've had to learn and grow in such a short time. <laughs> Did you aspire to be a business owner or an entrepreneur? You know you, you mentioned you had your dream jobs not too long ago, so how how does this feel now?
1: Honestly, it feels incredible. I'm shocked at how much I love growing a business. I think that There's times when I wish that I would have gotten uh, education in business. I think that that would have helped in a lot of ways. But lo and behold, we're in 2021. The resources that are available are insurmountable. Like there's so many resources. I have books right now that I'm reading. There's a few podcasts that I really appreciate. And there's just a lot of websites that I've been referencing that offer like really detailed resources and guides for how to manage your business. And of course, again, I have friends who are all really smart. I have lawyer friends. I have friends who work for payroll services. So I've been doing my due diligence as far as research and, you know, finding the right resources that I need. So I think growing a business has been fun for me. And down the line, like I kind of, you know, mentioned earlier, if I can focus more on the business aspects of things, And not actually producing, I think I would be really satisfied.
0: Through this year where everything grew so quickly, you've Mm -hmm. you've obviously had to be really tenacious to take advantage of that. Were there any points that you almost felt like just like giving up where it felt just too overwhelming?
1: Only about three times. (laughs) (laughs) For the most part, being able to see how much I've been able to grow and adhere adversity, I think that I look back and I'm like, wow, Elise, you've really grown and you've really been able to jump over these hurdles that I think for me in the past felt impossible. But now there's, especially as a black woman, I think it's not just about me anymore. It's about a community of people and the people who will come after me. And I can't say that there's a ton of, you know, ceramics companies that are black owned or women owned. So even having that prospect under my belt has been the light, (laughs) like that's been what's been inspiring me. most. And um, knowing that I can be an example and knowing that I can eventually invest back into my community. Right now it's in small scale ways, but um, my goals for 10 years down the line, I want to invest like hundreds of thousands of dollars into my community and knowing that I can do that just really drives me every day.
0: For people listening to this who have similar aspirations, but they're funneling all their creative energy into maybe a job they're working right now or, or something else? What would you say to them if they have this itch to kind of start making their own projects again?
1: So I actually, I love this question because I listened to your episode with Seth Godin and he kind of talks about how he put all of his eggs in one basket basically and didn't work for anyone else. I have been one of the rare people who hasn't had many jobs and a job is something that you do for the money, period there's nothing that says you're entitled to not have a job. And unless you take significant evasive action, you're probably going to need to have a job. And I took significant evasive action so that I wouldn't have to have one, but it was really painful for a long time. And But not everyone can really do that. you know. Sometimes you really have to work a job to have some bit of stability, and he mentions that too. So I think you really have to be determined and tenacious, you really have to have some kind of structure and focus if you want to have a creative career path. I think for me, just always making sure I was involved in some kind of creativity in some way, whether it was through my college experience or taking a class at the Cultural Arts Center or just gathering with friends, doing like a painting night or something. I think you really have to really stay engaged in the thing that you want to do because you, you never know where it can go. And I think that that's happened to so many people, especially in our generation. Like there's so many people who are so creative. People are making rugs right now in their, in their homes and selling those and making a whole business out of it. I think that we're just living in such a time where anything is really possible.
0: It's really inspiring to hear Lalise's story. I don't know about you, but this conversation definitely made me wanna start a 100-day project too. 100 days is a lot longer than it sounds, and it really does take a ton of tenacity to stick with something every day for more than a quarter of the year. But I don't wanna discount a couple of the other points Lalise made about having a support system and community behind you. It's really hard to do things at this scale without a strong support system. She talked about her partner helping with photography, but that may also be design or even your website. And because Lalise spent so much time before the 100 Day Project being a good human and making a lot of friends, there were a lot of people in her corner supporting her and hoping for her to succeed. If you want to learn more about Lalise, you can follow Lolly Lolly Ceramics on Instagram or visit lollylollyceramics.com. Links to both as well as her 100 Day Project are in the show notes. Thanks to Lalise for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode. Thanks to Nathan Tonhunter for mixing the show and Brian Skeel for creating our music. If you like this episode, you can tweet at jklaus and let me know. And if you really want to say thank you, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.
1: The Pod Glommer. A Sonic Universe.